Welcome back to another episode of The Pin Down. I am your host, Alex, with your other host, Tyler, from Hoop Venue. And, uh, wow, it's been an interesting conference finals. Uh, a lot of people seem to not be very happy with the quality of games and the fact that it's it's people are calling it the worst conference finals ever um what's your take on that what do or do you feel the same way are you enjoying these conference finals uh what do you have to like what do you not like uh give me your take here well where i kind of stand with all that is usually uh We've had some conference finals that just are an absolute abomination. Like think about Cavs and Raptors some of those years. Like you oh, can yeah. watch it because like it was fun to watch LeBron do his thing, but we all know who was going to win. And the games were never really that good. You, but on the other side, there's usually at least one series in the conference finals, one out of two, that is like really drawing. Yeah. It feels like both of these series have been – uh, a bit underwhelming. The Warriors and Mavericks haven't been a bunch of blowouts. Those have been decent games. Although it is 3-1, there's been a lot of close games. Um, and, and they've all been decided by like 10. Uh, but still, it's not as interesting as you would like it to be. And then on the other side, in the Heat and Celtics, there hasn't been a single game this series where a team hasn't gone up by 20 yet. Oh like, that's gosh. absolutely absurd. <laughs> like, that's, that's actually insane. So... I don't know if it's the worst conference finals. I would have to go back to year. I would have to look back and really think about it. But uh, yeah, it hasn't been that interesting. I haven't found myself like uh, in my room and I'm like, oh, I'm, the game's on. I'm missing the game. That I had that hasn't really hit me. Yeah, <laughs> like it's kind of like, oh, the game's on. Maybe I'll throw it on. Um, yeah, and that's because I, I'm just. I'm kind of just anxiously waiting for the finals at this point because I don't really think uh, I'm getting much out of these series. Yeah, I. the thing that I'm kind of pushing back on um, is the the whole thing. People are talking about there's games every other day. They're like, there's games every other day and uh, players are tired. And, uh, you know, that's why these games suck. That's why it's blowouts just because, you know, the players are tired, so they're not going to be hitting their shots as much, and teams are going to go up big. One team's going to be better rested than the other. And I went back and I looked because I saw a Reddit thread talking about it, and I was like, I'm going to see how true this is. Uh, the Reddit thread said that conference finals games have been played every other day for, like, over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. So I went back and I looked. From here back to 2004, and I'm not I'm not going to go any further than that because I got pretty much all the confirmation that I needed. Yeah, every every conference finals with like a couple of exceptions that I stumbled across. Uh, pretty much every single conference finals has been played every other day since 2004. So maybe there is some other, you know. Maybe there is some other factor causing fatigue here, but it is not the fact that games are being played every other day. It could be something else. It could be the prior series. It could be, uh, it, it could be, you know, the wear and tear of the regular season. I don't know, but it's not the fact that games are being played every other day. I think a factor that could be at play is, particularly in the Western Conference, if you're going to look at it from a fatigue point of view. 
Golden State beat the Grizzlies in six, so they got a little more rest. And Phoenix and Dallas went all the way to seven, and they didn't get as much rest between the the conference semifinals and the conference finals. Is that a possibility? Sure, if you want to look at it through that lens, definitely possible. But it's not the fact that games are being played every other day. I think probably a bigger factor in particularly Dallas's case, not necessarily Miami and Boston, because, uh, you know, I don't think these teams are necessarily um, as reliant on three-point shooting as Dallas is. But I think, you know, I you and I talk about it all the time. Three-point shooting variance. I think the variance in three-point shooting for Dallas is 100% a factor in why they are down previously 3-0, now down 3-1. Just the fact that that you are relying almost exclusively on three-point shots. I mean, you look at the the number of interior shots that they were taking against uh, Phoenix, and and then you look at the number of interior shots that they're taking now, it's a stark drop-off. I forget the exact numbers, but it's a pretty significant difference. Their three-point shooting is way up in terms of volume, but their efficiency is down. And mm-hmm. on, on one hand, they're definitely missing open shots. Don't get me wrong. But I haven't seen enough credit really given to the Warriors for how well they're defending the Mavericks game plan. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you saw my tweet about it, but I said that uh, the Warriors are leading the playoffs in three-point shots contested. Uh, and then also leading the conference finals in three-point shots contested. And um, Dallas is shooting an uncharacteristically low percentage from three. And it's hard to imagine that Golden State isn't having at least some impact on their three-point shooting. Yes, they're missing open shots. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of people, every time you mention Golden State's perimeter defense and how they're closing out on shots, people immediately go to the NBA website and they go to the team shot dashboard and they switch it to closest defender. And then they see wide open shots, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, they're actually getting a bunch of open shots. And it's like, one, the way the NBA website tracks those is not based on where like a defender's hand is. It's based on where their feet last were. So it doesn't account for midair closeouts, uh, any long closeouts. It doesn't account for those. It would still consider those wide open shots as long as their feet were still in the wide open range when they actually went in the air to close out. So... I'm not buying that Dallas is down in this series simply because they're missing open shots. It would certainly help, but I also think the Warriors have just had a really good approach to mitigating uh, Luka Doncic's ability to get his teammates going. And, you know, he's going to put up his numbers. He's averaging like 30-something points per game on over 60% true shooting. Just absolutely ridiculous stuff, but he's also only averaging like five or six assists per game, which is uncharacteristically low for Luka. And a big part of that is just the fact that, you know, the Warriors, yeah, they're letting them get some open shots, but all intents and purposes, they're doing a good job of closing out and making life difficult for all of the shooters that are surrounding Luka Doncic. Yeah, and we know what Draymond Green brings on the defensive end. Like, his ability to roam into the paint, cut off a drive – and still recover to block a three-point shot is absolutely absurd. Like, I remember I seen a stat 
that was talking about his like three point blocks in the playoffs or three point contest or something. And it was like an outlier among outliers. Like that is absurd. Mm-hmm. But I also want to shout out Andrew Wiggins. Like give credit where credit oh, is due. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins has been phenomenal in, in contesting these three point shots. Like the, the amount of length he provides on the perimeter, bothering these shooters and what he's done to bother, like make, I don't want to say bother Luca. Cause you can't really bother Luca, but make it more difficult for him to create. Um, cut off some angles that he looks to, because because Lucas' whole thing is get into the heart of the defense, uh, and it'll open up a teammate because they're gonna help. But right. Wiggins has done a great job of cr- uh, cutting off those angles uh, and sneaky little routes to the paint, and I think that that deserves some credit. But um, have you been paying attention to the shot quality score at all? Have you seen that on Twitter at all? Yeah. Um... I have mixed feelings about it, but I want to hear your thoughts. I don't okay, want to give so, my take until I hear I'm, – I'm curious what you think. I, I'm, I want to see if you I agree tend, or not. Yeah. So I tend to be a process over results type of person. That's more of like the uh, coaching perspective of basketball where it's like, okay, if I'm going to – I would rather create an open corner three and miss – then like get a last second heave in isolation to end the shot clock because yeah. that process is going to create more offensive opportunities, like better offense. Um, and people seem to be very result oriented. A better team can lose a playoff series. It's happened a ton of times. Mm-hmm. You can just get outshot. That's the variance aspect. You can get outplayed. You can get outshot. Um, things like that. So, what shot quality is doing, the, the the score, it's looking at just the process, uh, looking at just the quality of each shot and using their actual percentage from those shots to be like, all right, if you if you ignore variance, this is what their score would have been, like based on their averages over the entire season. Um, the thing with that is that's not going to always tell you who's going to win each game because teams that are taking higher variant shots are going to have explosive and bad performances. It's, yeah. it's volatile. It's, it's what happens. It's like um, if the Mavericks are going to shoot they're right now, they're shooting 45 threes a game in this series. They're going to have a game where they shoot 50% from three. Mm-hmm. They're also going to have them when they shoot 20, they're going to win the 50 game. They're going to lose the 20 game because they're shooting so many of them. So if they're winning the game, every game in the shot quality score, That's showing that the process going into creating their shots has been working, but they take so many high variance shots that you just have to find a balance. And because the Warriors create so many layups, they don't have that variance. That's why their offense is so consistent in the playoffs. Like in this series, they have a 122 offensive rating. Mm -hmm. It's because they create the most efficient shot in basketball. There's no variance in layups. You make them. You're an NBA player. So. When you're creating this many layups, sure, your shot quality score might be lower. And I do think the shot quality score has some merit. Like, I think it's a usable metric, but it's also not accounting for how high variance these looks are, Um, at least not to my knowledge. They could have an adjuster for that. I'm not sure they do. But, um, yeah, it is interesting to see that the Mavericks really should be, like, based on shot quality and, like, the process aspect of it – the looks they've been creating would have them up like three one, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Which which is pretty wild, and that just shows uh like once again, a heliocentric offense can work. Right. <laughs> it can work. Yeah. Um 
but yeah, so I want to hear your thoughts on the shot quality thing. I want to hear what you, your take on it. I think it's, I think it's good uh, uh, for what it is. I think it's probably a lot more reliable than a lot of like projectors. Um, but I think a lot of people are taking it at total face value. Uh, I'm not sure how, again, it's not like we have public access to their algorithm or anything. And in the way the, 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 the factors that go into how they track this, I don't think at least. Um, but I, I do wonder how, how well it accounts for the opposing team's defense. Um, is it adjusting for, uh, you know, a team's average three point defense or anything like that? Um, I don't know. Maybe it is. If it is great, then it's probably better than I'm maybe giving it credit for, but I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think there's probably a lot of value in it, especially for a a high three point shooting team like Dallas. Um, but I don't know. I think it's one of those things where you have to not only look at the numbers, but also watch the game, which is general, very, very basic basketball philosophy. Anyone, anyone will tell you that you need, you know, the eye test and the, and the stats. So, um, nothing really groundbreaking there, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely been interesting to see just the fact that, you know, Dallas theoretically should be three, one in this series right now. Their two of their losses have come in games where they shot under 30% from three. Uh, so, I mean, if they shoot over 34, 35% from three in those games, maybe they're up. Maybe the series is tied 2-2 right now. Maybe the series is 3-1 in their favor. Um, we just don't know. Uh, the question I think now becomes, they were down 3-0. We have never seen a team come back from being down 3-0 before. Does Dallas have any chance at all to come back from this 3-0 deficit and win the series. They do. And that sounds insane. Like, I think the Warriors are a significantly better team. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the little monologue I just went through, um, because they shoot so many threes, what if they just have three games in a row where they can't miss? Like, there's nothing the Warriors can do about that. Right. Like, if they're shooting 45 threes a game, say they shoot 45% from three over the next, uh, what's it called? Over the next three games, 45% from three on 45 attempts per game. That's um, a 135 offensive rating on three point attempts. So like if they're doing that, your only chance is, is Steph Curry having one of those Herculean 10th three pointer performances. And Sure, he still has that in the tank. Like he he's playing very very good basketball in the series, um, especially shooting forty seven percent from three. But um, yeah, I I think they have a chance, a very tiny one. I don't ever want to say a team just doesn't have a chance. You know, I, I'm, I'm right. kind of like the uh, I like chaos. I want chaos. I want this to go to game seven. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be amazing. And um. Man, if the same team that blew a 3-1 in the finals oh my blew a gosh. 3-0 in the Western Conference Finals. I <laughs> Oh my gosh. The legacy dude, talk would, about Steph Curry would be unhinged. I would be 
puking on Twitter, dude. It'd be um, so bad. It'd be so bad. Yeah, but I do think if the Mavericks just randomly catch fire, all it takes is one game of poor shooting and they're done. That's yeah. that's all it comes down to. Um, if they have one game of poor shooting, they they won't win because the Warriors are just their process is just too. It's like it's a machine. Like they're, they're you have to outgun them at this point, right? Yeah. And they're just so good on both ends that if the Mavericks have one down shooting night, uh, that's all it'll take for the Warriors to close out this series. And I also wanted to just throw this in there real quick before we move on from the the shooting and the variance and stuff. I want to see a study done from shot quality using their shot quality score because I actually did see like a little calculation. It's not the exact formula, but it has like a list of everything included. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking at that while we, while we were talking about it. But um, I want to see like a regression done that shows the correlation between shot quality score and like or like over over the entirety of the season and like team offensive rating or like team net rating mm-hmm. um, and see like how actual because that's probably how they built it. I imagine they built it off of like regressing it to some sort of uh, team success thing because. You can't have a metric looking to see who's going to win a game without actually building it off of who wins those games, you know? Yeah. So I'm actually curious to, to, to see if they've ever done a study like that uh, because that would probably put some more merit to the usability of the metric. But at this point, uh, Dallas taking 45 threes a game. Even if their shot quality is amazing, tie variant shots. Uh, no one's just going to consistently shoot 50% on threes. Even if they're wide open, we saw that when two of Lucas' teammates combined for like 0 for 16 from three. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's going to take some very, very hot shooting from the Mavericks to complete the first ever 3 0 comeback. Yeah. I think another thing that's interesting is we know the Mavericks are not impacted by home court advantage or the lack thereof because they walked into Phoenix in game seven and lit it up like just made literally everything so to the notion of well they're going into you know they're going into game five at uh at the warriors at the warriors stadium and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to deal with the lack of home court advantage and to that i'm like are we sure it even matters i mean we know through their performance in the playoffs, it didn't matter in Utah, which Utah arguably has some of the most, the loudest yeah, crowd, arguably in the, the best home court advantage in the league, and it didn't matter. And then they walked into the Suns arena in Game Seven, and it didn't matter. So yeah, you know they've got they've got a game coming up here in Golden State, and I mean if they walk in and put their foot on the gas and are able to you know, shoot over 40, 45% from three, and they do that for three straight games, yeah, they're going to win this series. I think there's there's a pretty good chance that assuming they shoot over 45% from three, they're going to win. They're going to win the series. They'll win every game. But like you said, it just takes one bad night, and you're banking a lot on three straight games of really good shooting is it possible? Totally. Totally possible. I think if any team in NBA history has had a 
better than zero chance of coming back from being down 3-0, I think it's this Dallas team just because you live and die by that variance and three-point shooting. And then you also, would you say, I'm curious your take on this. I've seen a lot of people talking about this. Who is the best player on the floor in this series? I think you know my answer. I think I, I think know your answer, too. It's Steph Curry, man. It's Steph Curry, man. Ah. Look, man, Luka is absolutely phenomenal. I think he is, like, already at age – how old is he? 23, 22? Yeah, 23. However old he is, I already think he's, like, a top eight, seven to eight playmaker in the history of basketball. Like, this guy is absolutely phenomenal. He's on a trajectory that – Almost nobody has been on. But uh, when you just look at the overall game, I just I still see Steph Curry being the most prominent advantage creator ever. Uh, looks like his shooting is back. He's still an extremely efficient on-ball scorer, even with the loss of quickness and some regression to his handle. And he's probably playing the best defense of his career right now. I think that's where I would give the edge to Steph. If you want to just argue offensively, I think you can make the case that Luca's like uh, heliocentric style of just engineering an offense with the ball in his hands does more for his team's offense because uh, using synergy data, I even saw that he over the last two seasons, he's improved the shot quality of his teammates more than anyone in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can create easy looks for your teammates with the ball in your hands. It's not just off ball gravity that creates easy shots. The thing with Luca is, I just. I just don't think he's there on the defensive end yet. I think he can be, but uh, in the regular season, he kind of was. But I think we're seeing in a playoff setting when you're asking him to do all of that creating uh, and they're just throwing him into actions on the other end, he just can't keep up. And I think that's where he differentiates from Steph, where Steph can uh, add that level of offensive value without using all of his energy, not only just because he has unlimited stamina, which is impressive, but... Uh, the fact that he's not forced to create everything because his move, just him moving and standing on the perimeter is just like striking fear in the heart of the defense, you know, like him just standing 30 feet out is creating a four on four for the offense because you're not going to leave Steph Curry to help. Mm. And when he doesn't have to use all of his energy to bring that offensive value, he's able to use that energy on the defensive end. And I think, I think Steph has just been a very good defender in this playoff run. Like, you can say that's due to situation, due to coaching. They have a great defensive team around him. But uh, I think I think uh, their offense, pretty comparable. But like I said, where I would give the edge to Steph is uh, I think he brings more on the defensive end. I think he actually is a, is a pretty comfortable positive at this point in his career. Whereas Luke, I still think, is uh, just lacking a little bit behind that. I'm not mad if you pick Luca though. I think Luca has a great argument. Like all these guys are so close. Like that big range, they're all yeah. just—it's the best players in the world, you know. Yeah, I don't even I—I I haven't done my due diligence to like see who I would say is the best player in the series. But the fact that Dallas has, you know, one of the two best players in the series, where the gap between one and two—if Steph is one and Luca is two—that gap is pretty dang small and the margin is not very wide uh you know anytime you have 
the best slash one of the best players in a series, you've got a chance. Um, and I think one one thing I was talking about with a friend last night was with Luca. I've noticed kind of as a series goes on, he kind of gets better. He doesn't his first game normally isn't his best. Um, and as a series progresses, he will figure out more and more a team's tendencies, you know, just like Jokic, same yeah, thing, very specific, like small minuscule things that to us, we may not see at first glance, but, um, you know, figuring out when I do this, this particular defender does this. And then he, he figures out how to leverage those, those tendencies that the defense will have and figures out ways to exploit them and take advantage of them. And that's one of the reasons that I give the Mavericks a higher than zero chance of coming back in this series, simply because as a series goes on, Luca is digesting more and more of that information and using it to his advantage. And eventually he's got a, a manual in his mind of how to beat this team. Um, mm-hmm. now again, this is just complete and utter speculation. It's total, you know, hearsay, you know, completely without concrete evidence, but just from watching him, I noticed it a ton in the sun series. He just, there were little things that the defenders do, you know, this person closes out a certain way, or when I do this move, a defender typically does this, and then I can go this way, or I can pass here, or when I drive in this particular driving lane, when these two defenders are here, I know that one of them is going to come over here, and then it leaves someone else open. Like, it's just little, little tiny things like that that I think he's processing as these series go on, and he's mm-hmm. learning more and more about what an entire team does. And then by the end, he's got, you know, a step-by-step guide of what he needs to do to give his team the best shot at winning. Um, so yeah, yeah I hundred percent agree. It's certainly possible 100%. that they come back. Is it likely? No, I don't think anyone's going to sit here and tell you that it's likely, but would I be particularly surprised Honestly, no. If they did it, I would be like, yeah, I, I could kind of see that. I could see that. Um, yeah. You've really got me thinking now about that Luca like, figuring out the defense and improving his play as the series goes on thing. Because mm-hmm. now I'm starting to think about different players. Like, this is a trend with, like, those smart, methodical players. Like, Luka Doncic does it. Jokic has consistently done it. Like, look at Jokic in game one versus game five of the Warriors series. Mm -hmm. It was a completely different animal. LeBron does it. Like, look at elimination game LeBron. Look at his numbers in elimination games over his career. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, you could just say it's him turning up the intensity, but I also feel like it's him, like, because he always would start a series slower slower than he would finish it. Look at the San Antonio 2013 finals. When they went down 3-2, he was struggling in the first five games. Then the last two games, he's just this absolute unstoppable monster in both fourth quarters. He figured out the defense. Like, that's that's really all it comes down to. And, like, I think Luka has that gift where it's, like, he's able to read what a defense is going to do. He's kind of, like, feeling it out for the first couple games of the series. And by game five, game six, he's just a different animal. And yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm cashing in my uh, – my bet, 
I got the Mavericks winning this game tonight. The extender, Scott Foster, has been listed as a referee. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going with the Mavs. <laughs> I think I think that's I, I might have to I might have to drive to Indiana <laughs> so I can put some money on that. Exactly. Sports betting man. is still illegal where I live. Is but, it really? Yeah, unfortunately. Damn. Yeah, uh, it is unfortunate. But uh, moving on to the other side of the country, we have Boston and Miami. And that <laughs> game last night, I one thing I noticed that I just couldn't believe while I was watching it is like these guys were throwing themselves everywhere, like into each other, onto the court, you know, into the uh, into the basket. Like these guys were just flying everywhere, just causing complete chaos and like wreaking havoc on each other. And I was like, no wonder there's so many injuries. Like these guys are freaking violent. It was like, it was hilarious. Sometimes I'd, I'd be watching and all of a sudden there's three players on the ground that just smacked into each other. And I'm like, what, what kind of defense is, is being played here? Like people are going to end up with broken bones and you know, two very good defensive teams. It's kind of unsurprising, but it wasn't just like defensively. It was like, Oh, I forgot how in Jalen Brown's case last night in the first half, like, Oh, I forgot how to dribble. And now I have to try and get the ball and someone else is diving for it. So I'm going to dive for it too. And the next thing you know, there's like five people on the ground and, uh, Boston's coming. It's, it's, it is so funny to watch some of these games because, it just looks ridiculous at times. It's such bad basketball at times. Like watching, I think there was a, there was like a two or three minute stretch in the second or, or first or second quarter where each team was going down the court, putting up a three, miss it. The other team would come down the court, put up a three, miss it. Other team would come down the court, put up a three, miss it. That went on for like two and a half minutes. And I was watching with uh, with a couple of friends and we were like, what what is what is going on here like what what is this basketball (laughs) like these guys forgot how to play basketball and it's not like the defense was particularly anything special on some of the three-pointers that they were putting up it was like grant williams corner threes al horford corner three uh you know pj tucker corner three uh gabe vincent uh above the break three It it was all shots that are not necessarily bad shots there was not particularly amazing defense being played and it was just brick after brick after brick after brick and you know that's why be careful what you wish for because we got a a quote-unquote close game last night but it was terrible basketball it was just (laughs) ugly 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 basketball so bad man and i feel like that's just uh a symptom of Marcus Smart and PJ Tucker facing off. It's just, <laughs> it's a, it's going to get grimy, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's something. And I, I find it the, uh, the ironical silver lining in, in all of this is, uh, how this has been like a crazy defensive series for the most part, uh, at least on Miami's and Miami can't score the ball. Um, and it's hilarious how, Shining through, you have with a 77% true shooting on the series, Al Horford just just being an absolute menace again, man. I don't yeah. <laughs> he's he's he was awesome last night too. Like he's just so good at this point. And what I wanted to talk about with this series, because 
the actual basketball has been uh, not much to talk about, honestly, mm. in my opinion. But uh, the discourse around Jimmy Butler is so bad. Like, he th- throughout the entirety of the season, because of the 2021 playoffs, he got underrated in the regular season. He was injured in the 2021 playoffs. He had a back injury, and he couldn't do anything against a Milwaukee historic defense. So, in 2022, in the regular season, he gets underrated all year because he played bad in last year's playoffs, which happens. That happens all the time. He didn't make an All-NBA team. Um, I think he should have definitely been a lock over Pascal Siakam, but that's a different discussion. Um, Jimmy Butler gets underrated all season. He comes into the playoffs, finally healthy, and is playing out of his mind. Like, averaging almost 37-6 and six with, like, three steals on plus eight efficiency and just running through the East. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's a top eight player and a superstar. Okay, cool. He gets injured. He comes back. He's clearly playing injured. Can't make a shot. And now he's a playoff fraud again. Like, what are we doing, man? Like, is he a superstar? Is he a top eight player? Or is he a bum that shouldn't be getting a max contract? Like, what? What is he? And and where's the middle ground, man? I hate how everything has to be in to to just the biggest extreme ever. Exactly. Call it what it is. Jimmy Butler is an obviously limited, amazing two-way player. He, yeah. He's probably on my list of top 10, 11 players in the league. Um, I don't think he's a tier one superstar because of playoff numbers. But he's also not a fraud because he's clearly playing injured right now. Right. Like, I I I hate how people do that with players, man. How they're how like two bad games and the entire script is flipped, and it's just oh, I hate that so much. It happens every time Jason Tatum has a bad game, mm-hmm. and then he comes back with a revenge game. Uh, it happens with Bam Adebayo. He was the best player in the world after his thirty-one point game. Um. It's just it's some nasty discourse in this series, especially because people don't have anything to talk about with the actual basketball right now. Right. So it's just been toxic discourse on Twitter and uh, I'm not really enjoying it. (laughs) I'll be honest. I'm not really enjoying the discourse too much around this series. Yeah, I uh, one thing I've done and this is, you know, a little bit of a tangent away from basketball, but there's only so much you can talk about with this stupid series. Um, I found myself like getting on Twitter like I tweet, uh, I tweet a lot. If you follow me, you know, I tweet probably way too much, but, um, <laughs> I found myself like I'll tweet, but then I'm just not even looking at Twitter, like during these series. Cause the discourse is so bad. Like the way that we talk about some of these players, like, you know, I understand we're fans and people have their biases and they're always going to look for ways to discredit the players that they don't like, but you know, like you said with Jimmy Butler, people were calling him like a top eight player, you know, bona fide superstar. And then some people were calling him frauds. And it's like the reality is the truth is probably somewhere in the middle that no one is actually right. saying. And, you know, the same goes for Bam Adebayo. Some people, when he had that big game, uh, that like 30 and 11 game, people were like, you know, oh, he's this is this is what Bam always did. like. We, we all knew he was capable of this. He's, he's a absolute all star. And then. When he had a bad game after that, people were like, oh my gosh, he's such a fraud. And then it's like, once again, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And when it comes to Twitter, it's just, there's no, there's no nuance there. It's all very much black and white. And, you know, you have right, to look you at it this way. You gotta watch who you follow for sure. Yeah. And I'm, 
I don't know, man. I just I'm not getting on Twitter as much during these playoffs. I'm usually just getting off whatever I want to say and then going and doing whatever else and ignoring it because it's just so bad. Like this course is just so broken. And I know playoffs bring out the worst in people because you have two very very vocal fan bases in Miami and Boston. So you know I can't get too mad. I understand it's part of the game and that's part of you know being a basketball fan. You've got your favorite teams. You've got uh, players that you're really rooting for and you, you're gonna defend you're gonna defend the players that you you like and the teams that you like when people are slandering them but you know at the end of the day there is there is truth and then there is just complete and utter nonsense and unfortunately when I get on Twitter a lot of times it's just complete and utter nonsense yeah I found myself uh with each day, just going on Twitter less and less, not only because of the discourse, but uh, honestly, there's just better ways to spend your time. Like, yeah, it, I'm starting to realize, like, how much more productive I can be when I just ignore social media. Like, I barely tweet anymore. When I do tweet, it's usually like based on like research I'm doing for a video or something. Right. Um, I don't argue in replies anymore. That used to be a staple of my uh, my Twitter oh, yeah. account. I would. I loved arguing. <laughs> I love. I like chaos. Like I hey, said, I love arguing character with people. Development. Character development, right here. Exactly. <laughs> I don't really argue and reply as much anymore. Um, I haven't been tweeting as much. Usually, the time I do pop on Twitter, it's like when I'm talking in group chats with people, like my mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like besides that, I'm. Uh, I've been staying off Twitter quite a bit, and it. I feel like that's for the better. It's just. Like you said, it's such toxic discourse. Uh, I do follow a few accounts on Twitter that I really do like. I look forward to their content. Like mm-hmm. I think Nikias Duncan is absolutely phenomenal. Oh yeah, um, he's, he's. I love he's looking awesome. at his stuff, and uh, just people in that sect of Twitter. But besides that, like the 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 trolling, the the discourse, the re- the overreactions to everything. I uh, like how you brought up the Bam at a bio point, how like in one game he's uh, five tiers above Rudy Gobert on, <laughs> on the app. But then the next day he's a he's just a, another Ben Simmons. Like, I don't know, dude. It's just, oh, yeah, it's tiring. And then you, you get the uh, all-NBA teams getting announced and the discourse around that during the conference finals is just, it's, it's absolutely atrocious right now. Like, I'm seeing... Uh, I don't even. I'm not even gonna get into it. It's just. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad out here. Yeah. Well, real quick before we get out of here, I do want to tell you about this bet that I made that I was so proud of, and I don't know if you saw me tweet about it, but I I posted on Twitter. Uh, I was like, "How are we feeling about this?" Was in uh, Game Four. Uh, I tweeted, "How are I we feeling about this. Reggie Bullock over two and a half threes uh, in Game Four? And I already knew what I was going to take. And everyone replied and they were like, over, 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 over. Well, I did the research and I went through every single game this season. And I looked for the games where Reggie Bullock shot 0% from three. Mm -hmm. And in every single game following a game where he shot 0% from three, he always made two and a half plus three uh, threes in those games. Every single one. Every single one. And I was like, I have never been more confident in a bet (laughs) in my entire life. 
And, of and course, how many did he make? Uh, I forget. I think he made four, four or five. Um, yeah. But I, I, I was like, this bet is as sure thing as you could possibly get. Obviously, there was a chance he didn't hit it. He could have made one. He could have made two. But it right. hit, and I was like, I'm, I'm a professional gambler. I'm, I'm quitting my job. So. <laughs> uh, hey. I respect it. I've I've done the same thing after winning one bet. I remember I did a uh, a parlay once. It was like my first time ever sports betting. I did uh-huh. like a parlay on one of the regular season nights, and I picked like all eight winners in the one parlay. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, damn man, I could be I could be a professional gambler. <laughs> and then I lost every every bet since. <laughs> yeah, it's always the first one. You get you get your first one, and you're like. I can do this. And then your it's next rigged. one, your next like five or six are just putrid garbage. And you're like, I, I need, I need a real job. I remember how surefire I was during the 2021 season. I was, I was so confident that Kawhi Leonard was going to win the MVP. I vividly remember this. I like, I seen like one of the MVP, like thing comes up. I seen like a tweet. It was like vote on your MVP odds right now. And Kawhi was like seventh in odds. And I was like, oh, my God, he's 100 percent going to win. And I went and put like thirty dollars on it for like a thousand dollar return. And then he got injured like a week later. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, come on, man, I hate gambling. (laughs) Jeez. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the pin down. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Alex Hoops at KG's Goat. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channels, Alex Hoop, Alex Hoops and Hoop Venue, and also the pin down where we will eventually probably start posting content on there again. So <laughs> might as well go subscribe so you're ready when we finally start doing that again. But uh, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks.